welcome to Slapshot Podcast, episode number 37. I'm your host, Chris Morris. Thank you so much for joining me on a fresh new episode of the podcast. Yes, that's right. We're back. We're here. The NHL season is slowly winding itself down, and we have a lot of stuff to talk about today. We're not even going to get to all of what I want to, but we're going to focus on a couple of things here that have happened around the NHL. And we're going to talk about it in detail, right? We, we won't start with the Montreal Canadiens. We're going to wait for that later. But first, obviously, shout out to Cole Caulfield, who has signed his first professional NHL deal. He will not be returning to Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin did not win their championship. Uh, Cole Caulfield tried to do everything that he could, but he could not score six goals in that game, and evidently his team lost. But he has had himself a magnificent college career. He's really dominated the scene for Wisconsin. And now that he has signed his deal, he will be reporting to the AHL. So he is going to have to quarantine and then head to Laval where he's going to start his pro career. But I am excited to see what Cole Caulfield can do now against some better competition. Right, college hockey is not always the highest of highest competition. Now he's going to be playing with some men, some big boys. But I am excited to see what Cole Caulfield can do here. So shout out to him on his deal; he deserves it. And uh, man, can't wait for him to be in a Montreal Canadiens uniform soon. All right, before we dig into more Montreal stuff, because Montreal Canadiens did something, right? They made a trade. So I hear. <laughs> So I hear, so I want to hear. Anyways, we're going to talk about Tim Peel. Now, if you've been living under a rock here, you have no idea what's going on. Let me you know, bring you up to speed here. So Tim Peel, NHL referee, was basically, well, he was relieved of his duties. Okay, After comments caught on a mic, uh, basically him confirming what we all already know, right? So... What he said was basically that he was looking to just call a penalty against the Nashville Predators early to start the period. I think it was the second period, right? And he says this. It, it, it gets picked up on a mic, and the NHL gets a hold of this audio, and then they throw the book at Tim Peel, basically. Now, Tim Peel was already going to retire at the end of the year. They basically just said, here are your papers. Go home early. Take a vacation. That's it. And, I mean, look, you can have your opinions of Tim Peel and whatnot. It's been questionable sometimes, but here's the part to, for me that sticks for Tim Peel is that he basically just confirmed what everybody around sports already knows about referees, which is not every call that is made is merited, right? These quote-unquote phantom calls, and they exist in every single sport, by the way. This is not... I mean, an NHL problem, right? NBA with their travel rule, right? Or the NFL with their pass interference rule sometimes. Uh, what other sport has this? MLB? I mean, oh my God. Angel Hernandez in the strike zone in baseball? Like, there's so many times where you see a call or you see a referee miss a call and you're like, what is going on here, bro? How did you not see this? And then there are other times where referees call a penalty and you're like, you got to be shitting me, bro. That's not a penalty. So Tim Peel now caught right, caught on mic basically says, hey, this at least I was trying to do this in this one instinct, right? And he's a veteran referee. 
So if he's doing it, there's probably quite a few other referees who are going about. And this is, this is again, this should be not, this isn't breaking news to anybody. We already know it exists. But now the NHL has a problem, or at least in my mind, they have a problem. Okay? Because the way I see this is you have a rule book, and you, we can agree to disagree here as much as, as much as you want, but you have, a, you have a rule book in place, and referees are there to enforce the rule book. And to me, rule books have to be as black and white as humanly possible. Because that way, the game is officiated on the same level for everyone. Now, the casual fans can argue what they want to see, right? There's an entire generation of people who watched hockey in the 80s going, okay, but that tap on the hand is not a slash because they grew up with players literally hooking and grabbing the entire way, right? But now we knew, now we move into this new generation of hockey where... There's a lot less clutching and grabbing. It's more open. There's a lot more speed. Players are quicker, faster, stronger. So the NHL's got to take a stance here and decide what they want to do, okay? And there's two routes to go this way, okay? Either you give officials gray zone to interpret calls, which is what most veteran referees do. We know this. A penalty in the first period is not always a penalty with three minutes left in the third period, let alone a penalty in the playoffs, let alone a penalty in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals in overtime, right? We understand that as the game changes, where we are in that game, the period of time calls change. And that's a problem, okay? That's a problem. Think about it this way, okay? If, you, if you're driving your car and there's a speed limit, okay, I don't know, 50, the speed limit doesn't change whether it's 8 a.m. in the morning, 4 p.m. in the afternoon, 7 o'clock at night, or 3 a.m., okay? It shouldn't change. It should be consistent, right? If you go over the speed limit and a police officer catches you, well, you get a ticket, right? doesn't matter what time of day it is. Penalty in the first period, a slash in the first should be a slash in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. That's my opinion on this. Because here's the second option, and I know all of you are not going to like it, okay? You move to a double IHF standard of hockey, okay? And trust me, NHL referees get on my nerve, but boy, do international referees do a really bad job of, you know, managing the game. They don't, actually. They call the rule book black and white, okay? We've seen this. How many times have we seen questionable hook penalties or questionable slash penalties called late in the game in international competition by a referee. Why? Because they're there to apply the book. Headshot calls in junior hockey, easy. If you hit them in the neck, it's a headshot, you're tossed from the game. There is very little gray in international hockey. It's black and it's white. And a lot of times people don't like it. But you know what? It's consistent though. I'll tell you what, it's consistently garbage, but it's consistent. We may not like it half the time, but that's the position that we're going to if we can't tolerate what Tim Peel just said, because Tim Peel said the truth. And if the NHL sits down and says, hey, we want a hybrid of, yeah, the rule book's important, but we want referee's discretion to be there. Well, guess what? Whatever Tim Peel said, that is true. And now you just relieved a guy of his duties 
for doing something that is true and that you support. So to me, the NHL has a problem here. They have have a big problem on their head. And this is for them to sort out with the Board of Governors and figure out how do they want to do this? How do you want to? Do you want to give referees a gray zone and come up with a hybrid? Enforce the rule book, but manage the game? Personally, no. I don't want to give referees that type of problem. I don't. I don't want them to have to manage the game. Call the rule book. A police officer follows the civil highway code. Judges file. You know they, they follow whatever laws. They're there to apply the rules. That's what an official is there for. The same thing in any other sport, right? Every single, like, they're there to apply the sport. And we see this the most probably in soccer, right? Soccer, you touch a player, he falls. But if he does this at the 23rd minute in the middle of the field, you know, it's fine. But a whole baby, players getting pulled down in the box, like, you literally have to be jumping on his back to pull him down for the referee to stand up and say, okay, we'll give it. Now, I know soccer is a particular sport because players flop left, right, and center. But... Again, the NHL's got to pick a side because you can't have it both here. You, you can't have it both ways. You cannot have your cake and you cannot eat it. You have to decide which one you want to go with. And for the NHL's sake, it has to be more of what the IIHF does because Tim Peel is not wrong. He's correct. The only problem is, is he got caught. Now, could the, ref, could the NHL have come back to him and say, hey, Tim, don't, like, what are you doing, bro? Don't do that. Don't say that. They could have done that. Instead, they threw the book at him and said, you know what? Get out of here. So they that, that was a, a really harsh penalty, right? Like Tom Wilson can take a guy's head off. And the NHL is like, ah, eh, five to six games should do it enough. But Tim Peel says the truth and they throw him out. Right? That's at least how I look at it here. So for me... It's, cr- it's critical that, and every team, look, every NHL team has an agenda. Every single one. The NHL has an agenda. Teams have an agenda. A team that's getting penalized a bunch obviously doesn't like what Tim Peel's saying, right? Because they're like, hey, maybe you're just handing out penalties for nothing. And a team that doesn't get penalized is saying, well, we don't have a problem. We, we don't take penalties, right? Tim Peel's trying to make up a call here. Referees try to balance out calls, and we see this all the time, right? How many times do players get into a scrum and referees take two players to balance it out? They don't want to impact the game, okay, which is understandable, right? You do not want to impact the game negatively at some point. Here's the thing, though. If you do not call a penalty or you try to balance it out, you are 100% impacting the game in a negative way. You're 100% doing it. So you're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. But guess what? You're a referee. You're damned no matter where you go. So do what is your job and call the and call the rule book. Call it. And if it's consistent, then nobody can argue it. You may not like it, but you got to get on board with it, right? Because a, a scenario where you have referee discretion means it's going to vary from who's refereeing a game, right? A little bit. Let's go back to the speed limit example. Not about when you get the ticket, but the kilometers per self, right? Now, if you go 51, right? If the speed limit is 50, you go 51, you're probably not getting a ticket. There is a discretion there, right? It's not automatically imply the rule book there. If you go 60, you're probably okay. 
Between 65 and 70, you're pushing your luck. And I can guarantee you at 72, you are getting a ticket because that's what I got last week. I was doing 72 and a 50, and I got no warning, no grace period there. I handed my driver's license, my insurance, and registration, said just give me my ticket. This was a very expensive coffee today. So, again, if you have discrepancy for referees here, then you're going to have a lot of gray zones. And that's not how a rule book should be interpreted anyways. Right? We hate the puck over glass penalty, or at least a lot of people do. Me, I don't, because it's black and white. If the puck goes over the glass and you're in your zone, it's a penalty. Whether you like the rule or not, it's simple to call. It is. There's no question about it, which is probably the most common penalty that is called in overtime because it's an easy one to call. It's not hard. It's black and white. And the more you have these black and white calls, the easier it is for NHL officials to figure it out. But again, every team has an agenda. And the NHL is probably going to settle for a hybrid where, yeah, call the rule book, but use your judgment. And that's that's exactly what Tim Peel does. Exactly what it is. He tried to balance it out. To, on, to, to try not to affect the game too much. Now, he, he affects it by calling a meaningless penalty to a team that, you know, what if they score on that power play for a penalty they didn't deserve? It's tough. Again, referees do this, and we got confirmation that referees do this because the following night, so here's the following night, okay? Toronto's in Ottawa, I think, or vice versa. Anyways, um, the Leafs win in overtime, but... Wayne Simmons gets taken down late in that game, I believe, okay? Eric Furlat is the referee. So Wayne Simmons gets tripped. It's pretty obvious there's no call, okay? And you can go back and watch the video. Just type it into Google. You'll find it. And Wayne Simmons is just, like, he's barking immediately. And he goes back and he sees the referee. And you see him during the break having a conversation with Furlat. And as he's having that conversation, okay, you can see Eric Furlat holding the collar of his uniform where the mic is because he's pro- he's having a conversation with Simmons and he doesn't want whoever's listening to pick up what's being said. So how do you think NHL referees feel right now? First of all, they saw one of their boys get tossed for doing something that they're probably instructed to do anyways. And now referees are going to feel really uncertain about things now. Because now they're not sure what to do. Or at least Furlat's not sure. Because again, he covers his mic to make sure that nobody hears what he's saying to Simmons. Now, is he doing anything wrong? I'm, I'm, I'm not saying he is. He's probably not. But he's probably justifying it to Wayne Simmons why he didn't. And who knows what that justification is. Maybe he told Simmons, you know what, stay on your feet. Or that's not it. Or I'm not calling it at this point in the game. Maybe that's one of the things, but you can't say that off the hot mic drop that happened the night before. You can't do that. You can't say that. You could have said it any other time, probably. So he, again, he covers the mic to make sure nobody hears this conversation. So that's where referees are going now. Now people want to hear right what players are saying, what referees are saying, and all this. It's fun for the fans, yada, 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 yada. We get closer to the game. That's not what anybody wants, or at least it's not what the NHL wants because – or the people who are employed by the NHL players and referees, because now they're saying, well, I don't want to hear. I I don't want you to hear what I say because sometimes it's not in line with what you believe or what society believes. So again, it's a problem for the NHL. And I think 
the simplest way to solve this is to just go to what the double IHF does and just call the playbook. You're going to have more penalties and play, look, players are going to adjust. Okay. When they took out the red line and they took out clutching and grabbing after the first lockout, everybody complained and whined and penalties and blah, blah, blah. And guess what? We don't talk about that anymore. It's fine. We handle it. We deal with it. People will evolve. Players will understand. And if the rule book is black and white and easy for players to understand, then you don't have a problem. Now, do I actually believe the NHL is going to figure this out? Of course not. Because the NHL can't even figure out what goaltender interference is. So you want them to figure out every single rule book in their rule book? No, the NHL has no idea. No, this is going to stay status quo. It should change, but it's not. It's going to stay exactly as it is, and we're going to get exactly what referees are doing anyways, and it's going to continue until we all die. Because, again, why would we expect anything different from the NHL? They have their own agenda, and it's a problem, right? And like Kevin B. Kevin, Kevin Bieksa was talking about on CBC, right? There are elite-tier referees, right? Just like there are elite-tier players. Then you got your middle-tier players, and you got your low-level players. There are elite referees. Low-level referees. And there's probably a bunch in the middle, right? Your elite referees are the ones that you already know by name. You know, they, Wes McCauley, right? Obviously, they ref games in the Stanley Cup Finals and stuff like that in Game 7. Those are your elite. And the bottom name ones doesn't really matter because they don't make it that far, right? So again, it's easier for referees with a ton of experience to figure this out. It's easier for them to manage the game. But you have a lot of new referees coming out, and they don't have that yet. And you need to make it simple for them to understand. Because you need good referees, right? You need them. You need very good ones. But I think it's also time that we simplify what is in front of us. Just call the damn rule book. That's it. This is a sport. You break it. It should be no different in the first or in the third. You may not like the call. Nobody will. But call it. Just call it, and then players will get on board. At one point, they're going to figure it out. Undisciplined teams are going to start to say, hey, we got to figure this out. We got to make sure we're not doing this. Everybody adjusts, and the team that adjusts first is probably going to win. Or you're going to figure out that once you start giving up a ton of power play goals, you're not going to take penalties. Or at least if you're not the one Sean Kings, because, well, they haven't figured that out yet, right? I mean, again, that's my take on Tim Peel. He just got fired for saying the truth. That's it. You got fired for saying the truth, and the NHL is not going to do anything about it. And again, we're going to continue to live in this world of just, you know, referees making up calls and probably affecting the game. But hey, nothing's going to change until something bad happens. Uh, speaking of, I mean, let's turn the tables here. Speaking of not bad things happening, good things happening, or at least it's good news. Eric Stahl. So Eric Stahl was traded. From the Buffalo Sabres to the Montreal Canadiens, right? Buffalo picks up a third and a fifth round. They didn't even get the good third and the fifth round. So Buffalo really, I mean, it's no question they've been having an absolutely disastrous of a season. They're going to start liquidating pieces. Eric Stahl's the first player to be moved. There are going to be lots of other players moved. So get ready to expect the Buffalo Sabres to be even worse this season than they already are, which is already hard to understand. Buffalo's now lost at the time of this recording now on the 20th. I think they've lost 16 or they're winless in 16 games, I think. Uh, 16 or 17. I've lost count. I, I know they haven't won since uh, the 
their their losing streak or winless streak, as the NHL wants to refer to it, uh, started I think on the fifteenth of February. They haven't won in over a month. They haven't won in over a month. They have no idea. I don't think they've won a game since I've turned thirty. I think they're still looking for that, but. The Buffalo Sabres got their piece. Eric Stahl gets moved here. Now, Montreal was on his uh, no-trade list, right? And he explained a little bit about it. He says, look, you know, with coronavirus and quarantine rules in Canada, 14 days is a long time to wait between, you know, being traded and getting up to date, especially midseason. For an older player as well, you're coming into a new team, learning systems, getting ready. You can't practice with the team. You quarantine. can't go anywhere. Then by the time you get up and skating – practicing, getting ready. Like, it's a long time. So, the Canadian government's changed a little bit. Now it's only seven days, half the time. So, Eric Stahl waves his no, his no trade clause. Said, okay, fine. I'll go to Montreal. And I'm having a conversation with a couple of people on on Facebook. And they're saying, oh, great. He's going to be a great fourth-line center. And I'm sitting there going, what? wait, what? No, he's not playing on the fourth line. What are you talking about? You don't trade for Eric Stahl. So you can play him on your fourth line. At least that's not what I'm doing here. And I don't think that's what Mark Bergevin is thinking either. First of all, Eric Stahl is a, like, he's 36 years old, okay? He's not who he was anymore. But he was pretty good in Minnesota, right? He showed up in Minnesota, he was 32, right? He left Minnesota, he's 35. So he's on the other side of 30, and in his time in Minnesota, he played 311 games. He had 240 points. That's pretty good for a player on the other side of 30. Now, look, he's 36th now, okay? He has 10 points, but he's playing in Buffalo. So I'm just going to discredit Buffalo completely. I'm going to pretend that his 32 games that he played with Buffalo don't even exist. A little bit like the 20 games he played with the Rangers when he was traded from Carolina, right? They probably didn't count. Uh, because he went to the Rangers. He had six total points in 20 games. It just didn't work out for him there. And it happens. Sometimes players go to teams, and it just doesn't work. And Eric Stahl didn't work with the Rangers. It didn't work in Buffalo. Now, do I think he can be a serviceable player for the Montreal Canadiens? Absolutely. I don't think he re-signs in Montreal. I don't think so. Because you have too many centermen already, right? Remember when the Montreal Canadiens traded Max Domi away, right? coming off 70-plus points two seasons ago, and went to get Josh Anderson. Now, has that trade worked out? Early sight, yes. Max Domi's not having a great season. Josh Anderson's doing really well. You traded for positional needs. But now you've gone on to reacquire a centerman. You've gone out and you've paid nothing to get him. And my theory behind this is, are we really trying to replace Jake Evans? Is that the player who is having the most difficulty in this lineup, like, are we going to play him? Are, are we going to play Eric Stahl the fourth line and then sandbag him here with Paul Byron? And, I mean, Froelich is there for now. But at one point, Yoel Armia comes back into the lineup. And then what are you going to put? Corey Perry on that side? Sure, that becomes a really good fourth line. But I'm not bringing in Eric Stahl to do that. Now, Daily Faceoff has him slated to skate on the third line here with Corey Perry and a Tory And whenever the Montreal Canadiens get back into action because... All their games have been canceled this week because two players added to the COVID protocol list. Yoel Armia, Yusperi Kakanyemi, they're still on the list. And we have no idea when Munchakan is ready to return to action. But all this to say, okay, my, my, my initial point to these gentlemen that I were talking to was he's not coming in to play on the fourth line. If anything, I think he's going to play in the top six. 
And let's let's go through the thought process here for a minute, okay? Let's go through the thought process. Montreal has done very well with their wingers this season, okay? Their defense has been good. I think it's been good. Jeff Petrie's been elite, right? He's been really good. Shea Weber's just, you know, a body now, but he's not doing, you know, it's not hurting too much. Joel Edmondson's been really, really good from coming over. He leads the NHL in plus minus with plus 24. So he's been really good defensively. Alexander Romanoff has been, you know, a rookie. He's done what he's needed to do. Ben Sherrod has broke his hand. Brett Kulak, you don't hear about him. So that's the best way to know that Brett Kulak's doing well. Victor Mete and Xavier Willett are just, they have a pulse, okay? So their defense has been fine. Their forwards, their their wingers specifically, they've been really good, right? Tyler Toffoli's been really good, right? Like I said, Josh Anderson has 11 goals on the season. That's gone well. Brendan Gallagher's got 12 goals. That's going okay. Thomas Tatar starting to turn it around here. 20 points in 30 games, you know? Jonathan Druin's not scoring goals, but he leads the team in assists with 19. Like, there's a lot of stuff going right here, okay? Winger side. I'll even give Corey Perry some credit. He's got six goals. He's got six. Good job to Corey Perry, man. He's making himself felt. Here's the problem with the Montreal Canadiens. It's their centerman, right? Nick Suzuki's got seven goals, okay? He's probably been the best center, okay? Let's give him some credit. Seven goals is okay. I don't think that's the step the Montreal Canadiens thought he was going to take, but here he is, and he's still got time. Jesperi Kotkaniemi's four goals in 31 games. I think that's a concern for the team, right? He's not producing at a level that he should be, or at least at the level that you thought he was going to produce when you thought trading Max Domi away would be a good idea. Now, everybody knows how I feel about Philip Deneau. He's got two goals this season, right? He's got two. He's got 15 points, which is nice. But he's got two goals. Your centermen have combined for 13 goals. Your top three centermen. I'm going to discredit Jake Evans here because I don't need anything from Jake Evans. I literally need him to not be bad. And he's been good. Jake Evans isn't the problem in Montreal. He scored two goals. He's got as many goals as Philip Deneau. Play him on the top line. If you want, who cares? No, actually don't do that. But my point is you're not getting your contributions from your centerman that you thought you would be. Your wingers have done a good job of picking that pace up. Your one defenseman has been doing it, but you need all three, right? You need your wingers, your centerman, and your defenseman to contribute offensively if you want to be a good NHL team. And it's no secret that Machado Canadiens have struggled here. Up, down, right? They started the season strong, they plummet, and now they're just kind of floating around here, right? They're going to be in a hunt for a playoff spot. They're going to have to fight for it. So MB goes out and he gets Eric Stahl. And you think playing him on the fourth line is going to help? What's going to happen? Is your entire fourth line going to make a power play presence? I mean, you could, right? We we might see Eric Stahl, Corey Perry on the fourth line and on the top power play unit. Absolutely fucking wild if you ask me. But hey, who knows? Montreal still hasn't figured out their power play. But hey, we'll deal with that another millennial. Uh, again, Tyler Toffoli's still out of the lineup. So there's a lot of things that need to happen here to balance out and figure out. But you could have three really good lines here. Okay? Just think about it for a second. Right? Philip Deneau... It, I mean, here's the thing. Eric Stahl and Philip Deneau are basically the same. The only difference is one is a little bit older than the other. They're basically the same. They're good two-way centermen. And I think you can get a lot more out of Eric Stahl 
playing on that top line than you'll get with Philip Deneau. Philip Deneau is not a top NHL centerman. I'm sorry, he's not. He's not a top-line centerman on any team in the NHL, with the exception of the Montreal Canadiens, because the Montreal Canadiens are convinced, and their media is convinced, that he is a at least a lesser version of Patrice Bergeron, which is an absolute joke, because he's not. Right Now, when Kotkaniemi comes off the COVID protocol list, where is he going to slot into? Now you have five centermen. Okay, You have Dino, Suzuki, Kotkaniemi, Stahl, and Evans. Okay? Let's just take Jake Evans out of the lineup because that's the easy way to deal with it, right? Let's just take him out of the lineup, right? Sorry, Jake Evans, you lost your spot, okay? Now, if let's go with my theory here, for example, okay? Let's go with mine. Let's say Toffoli comes back and you play Josh Anderson on one side, Tyler Toffoli on the other side, Nick Suzuki in the middle. That's a really good first, second line. Call it what you want. Your top line will be Thomas Tatar, Brennan Gallagher, and I'm going to put Eric Stahl there. Because again, you do not trade for Eric Stahl so he can play on your fourth line. Or at least my understanding was as well. Think about it from Eric Stahl's perspective here. He's got a no movement clause, right? He could have easily said, oh, I'm not going there. I'm not going to Canada. And I'm not going to a team to play on their fourth line. And I'm sure his agent at least had a conversation with MB and says, hey, look, man. Like my player would love to leave this absolute shithole of Buffalo. My apologies to the city of Buffalo, but oh my God. Like, he would like to leave here, yes. But it's not at an all cost to leave. There are other teams that probably kick the tires around Eric Stahl, but, right, the Carolina Hurricanes rumored in it, but the reason Buffalo made this deal now is because the Montreal Canadiens wanted to make this deal now and not closer to the trade deadline, and Buffalo needs to start liquidating pieces, and Eric Stahl's trade value is not going up. So, the Montreal Canadiens probably sat there and said, okay, well, we'll take him. But he's got it. The player with a no-trade clause still has to agree to it. You remember Matt Sundin when he didn't want to raise no, wave his no-trade clause in Toronto? I mean, Eric Stahl could have done the same in Buffalo. Like, who does he owe anything to in Buffalo if he just wants to play out the rest of the season there and not go anywhere? Sure, he goes to a better team where he's got a chance to win. But I'm sure he's not coming here if he's going to play on the fourth line. Or at least... Maybe this trade doesn't happen now if his thought is he's going to play on the fourth line. And maybe they tell him, look, Eric, there's no guarantee, right? Just like they told Corey Perry and, you know, Michael Frolik. Frolik hasn't played a game this season, right? Corey Perry has. But I'm sure you told these players that, you know what, well, you're not going to Laval at least. And you're doing stuff. And, and I think Eric Stahl is a lot better than Frolik and Perry. So at, at least in his case... He deserves a little bit more of knowing what's going to happen. Players like to know what's happening before they get there a little bit. Or, hey, what's your vision? What's your idea? Right? You know when you go to interviews and the person interviewing is like, hey, where do you see yourself in five years? Or where do you see yourself in 10 years? They're always looking for that answer where you say you're part of the business, you're part of the company, and you're moving up in it, and you're becoming CEO in 20 years. It's just something like that. Players want to hear that. Hey, look, Eric. We know, you know, you're coming from a team where it hasn't gone as you want to. We need some help at center. We're going to give you a fair shot at playing in the top six. What do you say? Or at least that's the conversation, if I'm MB, I'm having with Eric Stahl and his agent. Hey, I'll give you a fair shot. And a fair shot means actually doing it. Maybe Eric Stahl wants to re-sign him on trail. I doubt it, right? But maybe he does. 
And then you can decide what kind of player you want him to be. Because I really don't think Philip Deneau is going to sign in Montreal again. He's looking for a lot of money, and I don't think the Montreal Canadiens are going to give it to him. But it's a whole other conversation for a whole other day. For me, right, again, let's go back to my hypothetical lines here, right? Thomas Tatar, Eric Stahl, Brendan Gallagher, Tyler Toffoli, Nick Suzuki, Josh Anderson, Jonathan Droy in the third line, Isperi Kakanyemi in the middle, Yoel Armia on the right side, or, well, I mean, no, not or, you have to put him there. You have no choice, okay? Aturi Lekkanen, Philip Deneau, Corey Perry. Boom. Solved it. Okay? My apologies, Paul Byron, but Paul Byron's the odd man out here, right? He's making a lot of money. He's gone through waivers a couple of times. Nobody's picking him up. He's got a contract. He's not scoring goals, but hey, uh, he can play in the overtime period because he's quick, right? And then, hey, sorry, Jake Evans. Like, Like, Jake Evans has done nothing wrong to not merit a spot in the lineup. Apart from the fact that Claude Julian is no longer the coach. And we can, you know, he's a fourth line center. But is it a shock to have Philip Deneau in the fourth line? To me, it's not. That's where he deserves to play. In the bottom six. That's where his role is on any other team that is good. You have a ton of teams in the NHL that have really good centermen. The Montreal Canadiens have good prospects at center. They do not have good centermen. They don't. They don't have good centermen. Look at the top teams in the league with top centermen. Compare them to what the Montreal Canadiens have. You think the Montreal Canadiens centermen scare anybody? You think I'm absolutely terrified when I see Philip Deneau come on the ice? Of course not. Jake Evans, not a chance. Even Suzuki and Kakanyemi, I'm not fearing them. There's no fear there. I'm not going to fear them more that Eric Stahl's at center. But Eric Stahl, now, the Montreal Canadiens, too, Cap Friendly, I think, had this uh, there. The Montreal Canadiens are now, I, th- I think they're top 10 in, like, height and size, like height-wise and weight-wise. This is not a small team anymore. Remember how everybody, oh, the Montreal Canadiens are small. Montreal Canadiens are no longer a small team. They are one of the top teams in size. They're a big team now. They're a big boy team, right? they a big boy team. Sure, Brendan Gallagher is still small. You know, Nick Suzuki is not exactly huge. But this team, per se offensively, they're getting bigger. Defensively, they already got a lot of big boys on the blue line, right? Shea Weber, Joel Edmondson, they're not small. Kulak Petrie, not small. Romanov, not small. Victor Mete, look, there are, again, Ben Chirot would probably be there. Ben Chirot's not a small player. We can disagree about the defense because the defense doesn't move the puck, but that's, again, from a size perspective, the Montreal Canadiens are now a big team. Well, the Montreal Canadiens want to be big, but they also want to be quick which is hard to do because usually those two don't go very well together. But my point here is I'm not you're you're not trading for Eric Stahl so he can play on your fourth line. At that point, why are you adding on salary when you have a player who can do everything that you want? Jake Evans can play the fourth line. He can kill penalties. He can do all that fun stuff that you get the bottom six players to do. Or at least in Montreal's case, the bottom six players play on the top power play unit. But anyways, Jake Evans can do everything you want him to do without having to acquire an older veteran to do it, right? And again, Eric Stahl didn't come here to play on the fourth line. So he's not going to, or at least that's not my understanding. That's not how I look at this. And I'm being told, no, no, no. Well, you can't move Philip Deneau. Or yeah, that's where he's going to play. Or, you know, 
he just wanted out of Buffalo. Sure, he wanted out of Buffalo, but he's not going to want out of Buffalo where he's at least playing top six minutes to go to a team where he's not going to play any power play time. And he's not really going to kill penalties. And he might be a healthy scratch. He's not going to that. He's 36, bro. Eric Stahl has made a bunch of money in his career. He has a Stanley Cup ring. He's got gold medals. He's got awards. This man has everything right now. Made sure he'd like to probably add another Stanley Cup to his time. And sure, he's probably a competitor and he wants to win. But he's not going to give up everything so he can go to the Montreal Canadiens. Okay? This isn't a case where you look at players like, you know, Wayne Simmons, Joe Thornton, Jason Spezza. Those players giving up a lot. I mean, so they can play in Toronto, so they can probably try to win a cup, right? We knew Wayne Simmons took a discount so we can go to Toronto. We know Jason Spezza did the same thing so we can go to Toronto. Joe Thornton, say, like these players are it's the same thing. Eric Stahl's not doing the same thing to come to Montreal, man. No. This team, the Montreal Canadiens are not a top elite tier team in the NHL. At least not in my mind. Are they a good team? Yeah. Yeah, they're good. But they're only as good as Carey Price's, as always. And Carey Price struggled a little bit here. And the Montreal Canadiens are now fighting for the fourth playoff spot. So, let's do this again. Eric Stahl did not come to the Montreal Canadiens so he can play on the fourth line. Don't at me about it. Don't try to change my mind. If he start, maybe he does end up there at some point. But the Philip Deneau on the top line experiment now has to end at some point. And what better way to end it than by bringing in a veteran centerman who has won a lot of things and saying, hey, let's try it here. And we've seen Philip Deneau move off that top line. It's been periodic. But we've seen it happen. And I think Eric Stahl has just, like he's older, he's wiser, he's a veteran. He can handle that. When you put Suzuki and Kakanyemi up there, there's still young players trying to play the position. It's tough, man. It's tough. It's tough for these two to do it. So again, bring in a veteran. You say, hey, man, this is what we need from you. He's done it. He played top line in Minnesota. He was the top centerman. Again, I'm just going to like just disregard Buffalo, man. Holy, man, that is a garbage organization right now. Right? It didn't work when he went to New York. And if my understanding is correct, he went to New York in a tough situation as well where he wasn't playing. I don't think he was playing top six minutes either. Somebody will correct me on that. And then he played, I mean, his entire career in Carolina, and we know that went well. So Eric Stahl came here so he can solidify the center position. Again, he's only got, what, three goals this season? Perfect. That puts him one behind Kotkaniemi, who is second on the team in goals at center. And that puts him one ahead of Philip Deneau, who centers the top line, and one ahead of Jake Evans, who centers the fourth line. So, is, I mean, is Eric Stahl really out of place here? Is there no room for him at center? Are you telling me he, he can't have his chance? Because all the other players at center already are already superiorly better than him? Fuck no. Of course not. Let the man play. You brought him here. And if you want to get something out of him, or if you, maybe you want to convince him to come back, I don't know what MB's plans are. But if you want him to come back, give him something. Say, hey, man, show us what you got. And then maybe he gets a contract, and then he's he plays one more year in Montreal for his 37th birthday. 
And then you can decide what you do with him next year. Maybe trade him at the trade deadline again or, you know, who knows? Maybe you let him go. Or maybe for, I mean, for Eric Stahl's sake, if he wants to go somewhere else and play next season, he's probably going to want to make, you know, a little bit of money. He wants to have a good year as well. So he has an interest in coming to Montreal and performing. He's not getting it in Buffalo, obviously. But, I mean, it could have been really easy for his agent to turn around and say, man, the Buffalo Sabres suck. Nobody did well there. Jack Eichel is elite, and he did nothing. Taylor Hall is elite. He did nothing. This whole team was terrible. It didn't work. Blah, 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 blah. Negotiation, negotiation, negotiation. Eric Stahl should get a proper opportunity to play here. I would play him in Philip Deneau's spot. Or at worst, if you absolutely want, play him on the second line. Let Nick Suzuki play on the top line. And then let... Eric Stahl play with Tyler Toffoli and Josh Anderson. A really big-bodied line, right? Not the quickest of line, but big players who are tough to play against. And Eric Stahl can definitely move the puck around, right? He can facilitate the puck around. And he can help the rest of those players around him score more goals. But you're not going to help players like Yoel Armia score more goals. You're not going to help Jonathan Drouin score more goals because Jonathan Drouin ain't scoring anybody. If you play Jonathan Drouin, Eric Stahl, you got two pass-first players on the same line feeding the puck to Yoel Armia who can't score a goal. So can we please play Eric Stahl with decent players and maybe we'll get more out of him while we wait for the Kotkaniemis and the Nick Suzukis to continue their development and get even better and stronger? It's coming. It's coming. I still think Kotkaniemi can be a top-tier centerman in the NHL. I really do. And Nick Suzuki's got a boatload of skill, so I think he can as well, but they're not there yet. Not not yet. It's not coming yet. It can. Neither one of those players are 20-goal scorers in the NHL right now, which to me is the minimum required to be a really good centerman in the top six. You should probably be a 20-goal scorer. Or at least if you're not a 20-goal scorer, then you're racking up like 55, 60 assists like the Nicholas Bastrams of the world do. Okay. In that, in that vicinity, right? So, let's give Eric, Chan- Eric Stahl a chance here. We'll see what he can do. And uh, everything will work out well. And, uh, yeah. That's, uh, that's the podcast for today, folks. Man, much love to all of you who listen. Thank you so much. If you haven't already, okay, you can follow me on Twitter at FuzzyChris91. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, at Slapshot Podcast. You can find it on Podbean. You can find it on Stitcher. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on the YouTube channel, which you should subscribe to. Anyways. That's right. You head over to thefaintestfix.com. You got all the links there. Just click on one. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And uh, yeah. The NHL season's got, I mean, we're winding down here. So we got a couple more weeks to go. It's surely to be entertaining. Hopefully COVID doesn't rip this apart. As always, stay safe. Wash your hands. I love you all. And we will talk to each other again soon. Bye-bye.